Welcome into this week's episode of Tuesdays Are For Talking. I'm your host, Nathan Brown. This week, I got the chance to sit down and talk with Justin Gray. Justin is the director of Every Nation Music, which is a part of Every Nation Ministries, which is the global church family that Mosaic Church is a part of. I hope you could follow all of that. As Justin and I got together, man, we had the opportunity to talk about worship, music, theology, culture. It's a very interesting conversation. You're going to learn some things today about the ways that we try to approach worship in our movement. I hope you'll stay tuned. Here we go. Justin, man, I am pumped to have you on today's podcast. This is one I've been looking forward to for sure. I know that a few people in our church probably know who you are. Most probably don't. So if we could, man, just start out by telling us a little bit about who you are. Who is Justin Gray? Yes, sir. Well, just glad to be here. And again, you know, I'm I'm a guy from Detroit, Michigan, born and raised. I uh, moved here in 2004 to pursue music. I've always been involved in music in some capacity, whether it be singing church choirs or, you know, being involved in songwriting or production uh, with friends. And so once I got involved in the music community in, in Detroit, which is really strong, obviously being Motown, there wasn't much industry there. And I wanted to get closer to the industry. So I moved here in 04 uh, to pursue music and songwriting and production. I got connected with our Every Nation Church here in the Nashville area, Bethel World Outreach Church. And from there, you know, God just kind of set me on a different trajectory. You know, I was working a day job and grinding at night, trying to write songs and make it work. But I really found a passion for ministry and serving others. I think God really honed some of those uh, skills and gifts in me. Fast forward, I got involved in pastoral ministry through our church and uh, was actually co-leading a congregation here, uh, Bethel Franklin, and did that for a couple years with some of our Every Nation leaders. And right around that time, Every Nation music was launching. So they asked me if I would help. I was more than happy to do whatever I could. And then that turned into a job. They basically were like, hey, do you want to do this full time? I'm like, yeah, do what? Just got to <laughs> just have a description. What am I? And so, you know, I've just been figuring it out. And, and being in Music City, there's a lot of people to learn from, a lot of mentors. So it's been great. And just to see the, the evolution of what this started as to what it is now is really exciting. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be a part of it. That's awesome, man. Now, were you raised in church or what? what's your background there? Yeah, so I was raised in church. My family was deeply connected to the AME Church, African Methodist Episcopal. For those of you that don't know, so, you know, a traditional liturgical experience, you know, just the hymnal and the responsive readings and, you know, the liturgical calendar and the and the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And so growing up in church was uh, very good for me, but I didn't really come to faith until right before I moved to Nashville. And that, that was actually in a Pentecostal church. And I, I also should say my mother and my stepfather are Baptist ministers. Okay. So I've kind of been all over. I'm like a spiritual mutt, if you will. <laughs> so yeah, so it's been really unique to have those different experiences in those environments. So And tell us about your family. Yeah. So my wife, Mashan, of 12 years, going on 13 in December. We've got four kids. Justin's the oldest. He's nine. Josh and Chloe are a set of twins. Uh, they're eight. And Chelsea is the youngest. She's six. And we're busy. And at one point we had four, four and under. So oh, man. life has been a roller coaster <laughs> since baby number four, actually since baby number three. It's been crazy. So it's, I wouldn't trade it for the world. They're you amazing. guys survived it. 
We did. Survived the gauntlet. Four under four, man. So Justin, Every Nation Music. So it got off the ground in what year? This was 2013. 2013. Give us just a little bit of the background. Like, What's the vision for Every Nation Music? I mean, we know some other movements have music movements. Some of them are famous for it. You got your Bethels and Hillsongs, et cetera. So Every Nation Music exists really to facilitate a global songwriting community and really to catalyze the mission of what God is doing in the nations through music. And, uh, you know, one of the things that has been really exciting for me being a part of this whole evolution and process of Every Nation Music developing is just seeing, getting a chance to travel and seeing how people express worship in different cultures, different places, and also getting a chance to see that worship is more than maybe somewhat of the homogenous experience that we um, see in the States Mm -hmm. that come from some of those those uh, worship mu- uh, music movements that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it's just been great, man. It's been really great to just be a part of this. That's awesome. So it's, it's both catalytic in terms of trying to write songs, but are you also spending time trying to document the way people are doing music and worship in other cultures and oh, environments yeah. or talk to us a little bit about that? Man, absolutely. And to be honest with you, that has probably been the most intriguing, but probably the most difficult because what you find you know, as I've traveled, is just there's just an inferiority complex. There really is. Once you go overseas, people tend to think that what's exported from the West is the best thing. And so they adopt everything from the style to the vernacular to the obviously the the language to the culture. I mean, all of it just becomes absorbed. And it really can, you know, in some sense, feel like a karaoke experience when you go over there. And uh, one of the things I've been trying to have a conversation about regularly with them is like, what does it sound like for you in your context to worship? Are there any ancient songs? Is there something specific to your language and culture that can be uh, more implemented into how you express worship? Like, have you ever thought of that? And, uh, and it's been a learning experience for me, but I think it's been really eye-opening for those that I've had a chance to interact with because they start to realize like, wow, I don't really give myself permission to express in the way that is culturally specific or unique for my people where I am. And so that's opened up doors for us to do, you know, songs in different languages and to experiment with different stylistic you know, modes of, of, of music arrangement and stuff like that. So it's cool. I mean, it's just, like I said, it's a, it's an ever evolving experience. So do you see it as part of your job even to go into places like that and maybe empower people to, to be more expressive? I mean, that's what it sounds like. I can't tell you how important that is. I mean, and like I said, it's such a learning experience for me because I'm getting a chance to, to dig and ask questions and find out what, it, what does that look like? Like, what is that history? What is that heritage? Where Hmm. do those dots connect? But then also being able to inspire, like you said, even empower people to say, hey, here's some basic tools that can maybe help you get started in terms of some training or some questions to ask or just some thought provoking, you know, things that we can facilitate. But ultimately, you know, it's on you to decide that you're going to pioneer and or to make sure that you're maintaining the integrity of what is happening in your culture mm. through music, because that's important. I and mean, that's what yeah. we see in scripture. So, yeah, so it's, it's really interesting. 
Yeah, there's a real difference between teaching people how to make music and teaching people what kind of music to make. And uh, it seems like when we train people in music, we sort of do that second part almost by default, like without even thinking about it. I interviewed Matt Rash, who's one of our Every Nation church planners and missionaries. Uh, He's over in Marseille, France right now. And also he leads Every Nation campus for all of Europe. So we were talking and I asked him, you know, about being in France and what kind of music do they do? And it was interesting hearing him because there is a blend for them. In fact, if you didn't hear that podcast you should you got about 10 seconds of matt singing like an old frenchman and it was awesome wow and so he, he was just talking about you know some of the different styles that they they do try to pull in and then at the same time france is a western country and their western influence but they do have the unique culture you know yeah and so it was it was cool to hear him talk about the blend of style that they try to do he's still looking for an accordion player though so if anybody's listening <laughs> in marseille france and you got an accordion Every Nation Marseille would love, love to have you on their worship team. So, man, tell us tell us maybe a couple stories. Yeah, so um, probably one of my most unique experiences in worship and talking about songwriting was in Lagos, Nigeria. One of our Every Nation leaders there who actually is one of the regional leaders, Sam Ayadogbon, his wife, Grace, invited me and John Owens. For some of you that, that don't know John, he's a worship pastor and a senior pastor now of our Every Nation Church in, in Indianapolis. And uh, it was me, him, and our, our president and co-founder, Pastor Steve Murrow, who went over there to do some some ministry. And I, I just had never experienced anything like the power and the passion of worship in Africa. Like it was just, it, it, it was mind blowing. Just to give you an idea, the worship service there was probably three hours and about half of that time was spent singing. So we're talking about like a solid hour to maybe an hour and a half of singing. And, awesome. um, and no, and I mean, it was, it was powerful. You know, he's call and response songs. And there was one segment where they allow those who are in the congregation to come up and do actually do native dance. So they kind of have like a dance floor, like in the front of their, where it would be like the altar area and, uh, and people just come down and just and do these native dances as worship is happening. And it's just to see that expressed and the joy and the passion and all the nuance of like those people. It was just like, that was mind blowing. So that's, that's by far been the most impactful, I think for me. Another story would probably be, you know, just getting a chance to see the sheer scale of our church in Manila, Philippines, when they gather for their worship experience, whether it be a a discipleship conference, staff conference, campus conference. I mean, gosh, you know, seeing 16 or 17, 18,000, you know, students or small group leaders gathered together for worship and for them to have their own original music being um, written and sung in all of their churches and listening to everybody in the room know it. Like, it's just so incredible to see people owning their own sound, their own style, their own original songs. Hmm. So yeah, it's just it's just amazing some of the experiences I've had. There's so many ways to express worship. And uh, I, I think that's one of the most fascinating things about worship. I love, uh, I get a chance to teach a class at Mosaic on worship as a part of our membership process, mm-hmm. uh, our foundations classes. And in that class five is on true worship. And we really talk about a number of things. We talk about that, that worship is more than worship. And this makes sense in a second, but it's, mm-hmm. it's Thanksgiving first, you know, yeah. it's, it's gratitude first. You can't worship if you don't first have a disposition of gratitude. It's Thanksgiving. It's 
It's all of those things. I think Psalm 138, I give thanks with my whole heart. Before the yeah. gods, I sing your praise. And then I bow down, you know, your act of worship and submission. Mm-hmm. I bow down before your holy temple. And then when you think about all the different ways that all of those things can be expressed, and then somehow we distill all of that down to like a genre on Spotify. I mean, Amen. The, the Bible commands us to sing, to dance, to shout, to praise, to to make loud noises, to do all these kinds of things. And it's all like absent of some cultural package and some yep. cultural box that's supposed to be done a certain way. And yet you can literally get on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, whatever, and type in worship. And you're going to get the predictable few things. I won't drop names because I don't want to discourage those people. I appreciate what they do. They are an important part of the mix, but they ain't the only thing in the mix. It's true. Trying to make pizza with just a pepperoni. Like what? That's right. That's right. Man, I'm actually, I was, while you were talking, I was trying to look at this, look for this quote because it's, I know I'm going to butcher it if I try, if I try to remember it off the top of my head, but um, Charles Spurgeon actually makes a, man, he, he makes an incredible observation in his, in his commentary on Psalms. And I'm going to find it here in just a second. Well, first of all, let me read this. This is actually another good one as well. This is from Martin Luther. And uh, when you talk about, you know, the modes of worship and actually what it elicits in the human experience. So this is what he says. He says, it is music alone, according to God's word, that should rightfully be prized as the queen and ruler over every stirring of the human heart. What can be more powerful than music to raise the spirits of the sad, to frighten the happy, to make the despondent valiant, to calm those who are enraged, to reconcile those filled with hatred. Really powerful. Wow. I know just, so you, you, you know, you go back this guy in the 1500s, you know, doing, you know, doing ministry and you realize just how incredibly impactful worship and music and, you know, all these ideas are. And I'm just always blown away. I'm always blown away every time I get a chance to interact with people in different settings. But but yeah, and and basically Spurgeon says something to the effect of, I, I was trying to find the quote, but essentially what he says in his commentary on Psalms is that it's important for every person to, I mean, he's referencing a scripture in the Psalms where David actually says, what shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits to me? And basically what he says, Spurgeon, is that if the blessings from God are varied in number and in type, we should be equally varied in our expressions of worship to God. Mm. Like we should seek out with some kind of holy ingenuity how to render fresh praises to our God. And I think that's kind of the heart of what it looks like to worship is to your point, it's not just music. It's not just, you know, it might begin with Thanksgiving or some kind of acknowledgement of who God is, but there's just such a robust idea that we bring to bear when we talk about worship and people's experiences. So it's important to understand what it is before we engage in it. Absolutely. And there's such a depth when it comes to this sort of thing. And so on one hand, we can sort of talk about the need, honestly, for the depth and breadth of style and of culture. And of course, everyone knows that the Bible says every tongue, tribe, and nation will be represented in the kingdom that Mm -hmm. is to come, not just in the one Mm -hmm. that is now. But I don't know that we fully grasp what that means. Like, it's amazing when I talk to people, how they sort of look at me like, you know, in Texas, this is a phrase of ours. You ready for this? Okay, go for it. They They look like a cow at a new gate. Oh, Kyle, the new gate. That's nice. I learned something. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) The people look at me like a cow at a new gate when you you tell them that, you Mm -hmm. know, we're actually all going to be resurrected 
in bodies and we're going to retain our tribe. We're going to retain our culture. We're going to retain even our language and, and wow. even style of dress and expression. And so why, why would we ever try to monolith those things now? Man, and you know, and that's and that's really what has I think provoked the leaders in our movement and really has inspired me with every nation music. You know, the like I said, the more I travel and talk to people, you just realize like the average person I talk to hasn't actually stopped to consider that there is more to worship music than what dominates Christian culture. And uh, and one of the other things that I think it's really shocking for people when we when we do, you know, workshops or trainings is, you know, we refer to CCLI. And obviously for those of us who use CCLI as a resource, you know, in the top 100, you might have maybe somewhere between 20 to 25 songwriters who dominate the, the top of those charts, which CCLI is the foremost resource for churches globally for uh, local church music. And so to see that chart and to look at those names and realize that most of them are white Westerners, and it doesn't have anything to do necessarily with white or black or Asian or Latino or whatever the situation is. It's really, it really boils down to the point you just made. When we look at scripture and it says that God delights and finds dignity and value in the expressions of worship that come from all these cultural linguistic expressions then why wouldn't we want to kind of cultivate those same kind of environments and that same kind of community when we come to worship in our various contexts? And I, I just think that that's something that needs to be championed. I think people need to be talking about it more. And I think if nothing else, it just helps to get a broader view of who God is, what his purpose is, you know, when we step into that conversation. It's funny you mentioned CCLI, and I, I hope I don't step on too many toes here, but I was having a conversation with someone about modern day racism. Mm. And in that conversation, I made a reference to systemic racism. Mm. And the person I was speaking to asked me for an example of systemic racism. <laughs> oh, God. I wish there are many, you know. I wish oh. there are many. But Justin, I actually used <laughs> oh. CCLI. Oh. As an example oh. of systemic racism that actually oh, is not inherently evil. It's, it yes. doesn't seek to do harm. Yes. But it's a self-perpetuating thing where churches report what they do. Uh -huh. Then other churches look at what other churches do and go and do likewise. Yeah. And then when you birth that in the context of one specific type of church and, 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 and people group, then you immediately began a self-perpetuating system that just yeah. regenerates itself, whether anybody wants it to or not, whether they're trying to or not, whether they have malintent or not. And and that's that's why, and I know we, we didn't bring you on to talk about this, but it all connects. Like, <laughs> you, you know, it's, it's all connected. Then you get this weird kind of thing where this group that exists to make it easier for churches to license and copyright music. It's a great thing that they do. I'm not even knocking CCLI, but, yeah. but built into the system and the way that it started and the way that it gets used, it is a form of, I God, God help me, but of systemic racism in the sense of mm -hmm. what you get from those top 25 is all yeah. monolithic people. And you get a little yeah. bit of diversity. And of course, you know, people say, well, it's Australian. They're not really Western and whatever, but it, it is. And, and, yeah. and, and, and you don't, you got to go find musical diversity if you, if you want it on your own, like you got to do the hard work. Yeah. And so I love, man, I love that about our movement that even yeah. though you may not get all those flavors in every church and that'd be weird too, right? We don't want to be a worship jukebox. Yeah, no. Like, oh, let's, yeah, no. some people tell me that too. They're like, why don't we do like 
this, 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 and this. I'm like, cause we're not a jukebox, you know, <laughs> um, but, I, but I love what you're doing. And, and I think it's so important that, that we focus on that. Let me ask you another question. T- talk to us about your vision and every nation's vision for depth of music. We've been talking about breadth, culturally speaking, talk to us about theological depth and just how important that is. Boy, I'll tell you, that's a, uh, that's a big one. And, uh, and I also want to, don't want to say anything disparaging, you know, of, of popular music, but I will say that the um, influence of the of the production culture of the last um, 25 years or so, the influence of the pop music format over and its and its mix with church culture and and kind of the commercialization of, of Christian music and all that stuff. I and mean, we can take all those variables into consideration. And 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 what you end up with in many instances is people who are void or maybe even just ignorant of the need for theological depth because they don't see music as spiritual formation. And this is one of the things that I've been championing recently, and we're going to actually talk about far more in the weeks to come. We're, we're looking at getting some resources through Every Nation Music to really kind of engage the conversation on a much deeper level. But when a person shifts their view and starts to see music as a part of the spiritually forming practices or liturgies of the church, then what you realize is that what you realize is basically the same thing that guys like John Wesley and Charles Wesley realized, you know, all that time ago. You know, for those of you who don't know, they started the Methodist movement and they were prolific writers. And there is a Methodist hymn book that was basically inspired by the idea that people needed to sing what was being taught to double down on the doctrinal issues that were being addressed in the church and some of the community-oriented features of what the church looks like. Like, what does it look like to live in Christian community? Well, when you don't think of it in that way and you just think about the beat and the sound and what guitar riff and what atmospheric pad you use and how well the person can sing and all these other things, then what ends up happening is people leave singing things that actually isn't helping their soul or broadening or becoming more, giving them a more accurate view of who God is. And, uh, and that's an unintended consequence. I don't think anybody does it maliciously, but, uh, but I think that's why it's so important that we should be really, really careful with how we write, how we select songs. So it's not even just about what every nation music produces or, or tries to do, but it's also just being more, just being more astute and being a bit more, you know, scrupulous when it comes to checking out lyrics and songs and how those things connect. Yeah, man. I there's there's a great quote from Augustine's Confessions about music. And I know he theologically can be a controversial subject, but he certainly has a lot of good things to say. And, and let me just read this. I'd love to just read this and have your reaction to it. He says this. He says, I remember the tears that I shed on hearing the songs of the church in the early days. Soon after I had recovered my faith, and when I realized that nowadays it's not the singing that moves me, but the meaning of the words when they are sung in a clear voice to the most appropriate tune, I again acknowledge the great value of this practice. So I waver between the danger that lies in gratifying the senses and the benefits, which, as I know from experience, can accrue from singing. 
Without committing myself to an irrevocable opinion, I am inclined to approve of the custom of singing in church. Thank you, Augustine. In order that by indulging the ears, weaker spirits may be inspired with feelings of devotion. Yet, when I find the singing itself more moving than the truth which it conveys, I confess this is a grievous sin, and at those times I would prefer not to have even heard the singer. Mm. Now, what do you think about that? Man, it's funny that you read that because I think that this is probably a shameless plug, but on Amazon, if you want to check it out, uh, it's the Worship <laughs> Writer's Workbook. And it's just it's something that is just a tool to kind of help people to engage in, in songwriting and even unpacking some of the things that we're talking about in terms of theology. But, but there is a quote that I actually think is taken from that same passage or maybe from some of his writings mm. that actually connects with exactly what you you mentioned, and he talks about what it was like to, uh, I want to find it here. Oh, here it is. Yeah, so this is St. Augustine as well. Just to kind of show you the love-hate relationship that the church fathers had with music, and the reason why they had this love-hate relationship is because they they had this suspicion of the aesthetics of music and the effect it had on the human heart. So this is, you know, people in the 300s and 400s. We're talking about really old dudes. So here's what he says. He says, and safer to me seems what I remember was often told me concerning Athanasius, one of the other church fathers, Bishop of Alexandria, who required the reader of the psalm to perform it with so little inflection of voice that it was closer to speaking than to singing. And him and John Chrysostom and some of these other guys really had a hard time because they were stewarding the word of God and the community of believers in these these times. And you had a lot of pagan influences. And actually music was one of the like more sensual pleasures of a lot of the pagan movements of that time. Mm -hmm. And so they were all very suspicious of what was going on with music and how it was used in worship. And uh, but they couldn't deny that there was a power that there was an effect that was something that could be really helpful. And even St. Augustine struggled. He was just like, man, to your point, he understood the value, but he's like, man, but at the expense of the depth of the truth of who God is, is it worth it? Mm -hmm. And I think that those are the kind of questions that we should be asking, even of popular, you know, music today. It's like, look, I'm not, like I said, I don't want to be disparaging of movements or anybody else, but it's like, is the value there? Is the weight there? If somebody sings this, what will it do to them in shaping their view of God and ultimately how they engage in community? What's going to set the course of the rhythm of their life? And so I just think that those things are really important, you know, especially in a streaming culture where, you know, we're consuming music, I mean, at an all time rate and, and we're being saturated with these messages in many cases, even more than we are preaching or teaching question is, well, what, who's preaching to us and what's being said through these songs? No doubt. That's funny. What you just read is literally the preceding sentence to where I started. I, 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 so I, I, was, I felt like it was I was researching, I remember it was like a larger text. Yeah. But yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's so many good, good lines in there. I, I picked one and you picked another and they're all, <laughs> maybe it should yeah, just we should, we should put it all in, in the there. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Well, Justin, one of the things, and I, I actually, in that same class, when I teach on worship, I give people like a fair warning that 
when when they and, and this is not because I don't want appreciation and I do I, I like to be thanked and I like our team to feel appreciated and to feel encouraged and to know that they've done something that's meaningful for someone I think it's false humility to act like you you don't want people to tell you good job so so let me just get that out of the way first but when people come up and say man pastor great worship today I'm probably going to hit you right back with what was great about it. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Because yeah. I mean, and listen, it's cool. Like if somebody did something cool and you're like, man, I was really inspired by that drummer today. He was awesome. Great. But I want to know like what happened inside, like mm. what happened between you and Jesus? What was mm. great about the worship? So I just tell people like, I'm just, I'm just gonna tell you. And I will actually, I want you to come and tell me worship was mm-hmm. great today, but know mm-hmm. that I'm going to ask you a follow-up question. What mm-hmm. was great about it? And I mm-hmm. hope, like I'm always just hope it's not a trick. It's not a trap. If anything, it's a report card on me to yeah. see how are we doing. But yeah. I hope that what comes out of your mouth next isn't only, and it could be great, man. So-and-so saying that it was awesome. So-and-so played that. It was sweet. But yeah. what was great was how God met me today. What was great was how you gave me the words that I couldn't have said on my own. And when I opened my mouth and sang them, it Mm. felt like I was really giving God what he was doing. Like, I want to hear stuff like that. And so I'm kind of with Augustine. Like, when the the music itself, man, what a trap today. When the music itself becomes more moving than the truth which it conveys. Justin, do do you think we're falling into sin at that point? Oh man, I mean, yeah. And I think it's very insidious and it's and it really does put a, a weight on us as leaders to be very discerning, to be very cautious, to be just better stewards. You know what I mean? Like there's just a responsibility that comes with serving people well and leading and calling people to the mission of God. So yeah, I mean, I, I think but I, but I will say this. I think that and I I find this when I travel and talk to creatives in particular, I think one of the things that people wrestle with is like, well, if I'm if I'm creating with a sense of of excellence and stewardship before God, doesn't that count as worship? Doesn't that count as worship? And I say yes. Mm-hmm. However, it's always important for us to check our motivations for why we're doing that. And ultimately to make sure that our compass is tuned for that true north experience of encountering God. It's like, look, I, I'm not I'm not here to sing a crazy lick. If I do, man, praise God. You know, I, I practiced the lick and the lick was hopefully to draw your attention draw your attention to some important part of the song or whatever it was. But that ultimately it's not for the purpose of you acknowledging my lick. It's for you glorying in the fact that you know, God is, is moving. God is amongst his people. This song is, is doing some deep ministry. And, uh, and so I think that that's a tension that we have to manage. I don't think that you throw the baby out with the bathwater. But I do say as a whole, I think in, in Christian culture, we definitely have found ourselves on a slippery slope. Because like I said, the, the, the commercialization, this might sound kind of controversial. I'll say it anyway. So the commercialization of the church and the privatization of faith turns Christianity into just a stream of sound bites. And what we need to realize is that God is moving by his spirit through a community for the sake of the coming of his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Not so that we can build platforms and be 
top-notch influencers. And so we can have a big following on our social media or sell tons of records or draw millions of people. It's really for his glory and his purpose, which can be accomplished even without our technology. I think sometimes that's something we, we forget, that in the days of Acts, people were preaching the gospel and engaging God, and thousands were coming to faith in Jesus. And there was no Spotify playlist. There wasn't an amplified guitar. So God doesn't necessarily, it's great that we have these tools, but God can accomplish his purpose with or without them. We just have to constantly check our souls and make sure we're in the right spot. But I totally agree with you. You know, it's a slippery slope. I want to acknowledge that beauty is important as well. Yes. Brian Zahn wrote a book called Beauty Will Save the World. And it's a fascinating book. And I, I don't endorse everything he says, but I do think it's worth reading. And, and he talks about the fact that for thousands of years, like artists, sages, philosophers, theologians, they've, they've all collected beautiful and sacred and tried to bring those things into an artistic format that speaks to the glory of God. Yeah. And, and frankly, like the glory of man, as we reflect yeah. the glory of God. Absolutely. And and then, you know, he talks about how we've now like largely displaced all that stuff for convenience and practicalities. And and so I, I won't get into the book, but but he does make a point that beauty, when properly oriented to the, the glory and the majesty of God in and of itself can also be an act of worship. So I, I can yeah. worship God with music that has no lyrics, as well as music that that has rich lyrics. Because to your point, at the end of the day, worship is not a style. It's not a genre. It's not even a collection of cultural expressions. It is a disposition of the heart that gets expressed through various vehicles. Um, So when we only use one vehicle, we shortchange ourselves. But when we only care about the vehicle, we also shortchange ourselves. That's right. That's so, right. That's so how, how, do, how do we as Christians and worship leaders and pastors and, and influencers, man, what do we do about this? Man, I'm an advocate for reviving good teaching on, on biblical worship. You know what I mean? I mean, for me, one of the most staggering stories in all of Scripture is Abraham and Isaac. When we're talking about worship, I mean, it doesn't get any more gut-wrenching you know, than that story. And what you realize as you see the scene of events play out in Scripture with Abraham and Isaac, you realize what's at stake mm. with worship. And then you also realize how <laughs> worship is so much different than our modern understanding of what, what worship is. And so I just, like I said, I, I would just recommend to any leader— I say this to to pastors and worship leaders all the time. Like, look, if you just begin, like, let's say you just begin the conversation with in in your your habit of study with the idea that music is a part of spiritual formation. So if you start there, you say, hey, music is a part of spiritual formation. Okay, now, then the question would be, how are we leveraging music for the sake of forming Christ into people in partnership with the Holy Spirit? So good. Right. So and, and if and if you just kind of follow those breadcrumbs, you're going to end up somewhere safe. Like maybe I mean, you're going to have the end all be all apologetic for music and worship and everything else. But at least you're thinking in the right direction because you're realizing that there's a power and there's a tool that God has given us through music to affect people in terms of 
their understanding of who God is, how they're formed in community, and what sets them on mission. Just as an aside, real quick, one of the things that was so interesting a few years back is I had a chance to listen to a talk from one of the founders of Spotify. And uh, this guy is basically talking about the, the origin of the company. And he's saying it started with the idea that there was obviously this, this proliferation of music online. And then they were trying to find a problem to solve. Well, what they did is they polled several thousand people on different continents and said, what are some of the things that you use music for? And what they realized is that they used music to alter their mood, which then told them that music moves people. It moves people to action. So then they said, okay, let's make playlists that embellishes the experiences of people. So if a person's at a barbecue, what kind of music are they listening to at a barbecue or would they listen to at a barbecue? And so the whole idea is them coming alongside the habits of a person and using music to help reinforce or form them in their daily practices. That's what Spotify does. So I'm like, if Spotify does that, why would the church, <laughs> you know, it's like, so it's like sometimes the, the world is wiser than, than, than we are sometimes. It's like, why wouldn't the church say, okay, God has given us this awesome tool, this powerful vehicle. We have the rights to the truth of God, both not just what's been given to us in scripture, but inspiration from the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit speaking to us actively and telling us, this is how I want you to form to partner with me in forming Christ into these people. Why would we not leverage that? Like, why would we not lean into that and use, you know, every avenue that we could to make sure that that happens? And I just think that that's how we have to start reframing our thinking. And, and I, I believe that as we do that, like we'll see people with much more um, of a rich understanding of who God is and what community looks like and all that stuff as a result of leveraging music correctly. That is incredible. Yeah, I mean, that Spotify interview messed me up, man. That that really, that really changed some things for me. I was like, "Wow." I'm gonna have to go find that. Yeah, your your retelling of that is messing me up a little bit. I'm just sitting I here. might have to I might have to dig the link up and send it to you. My wheels are turning, man. My wheels are turning. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you mentioned you mentioned Genesis 22. People ask me what is worship. I tell them to go read Genesis 22 and Romans 12, and then come back and let's have coffee and we'll talk about it. <laughs> um, that, that's that's where you end up. So I appreciate you mentioning that. A lot of people don't realize that's the first place in the Bible the word worship shows up is when Abraham yep. is going to sacrifice his son. But man, golly, thinking about the Spotify thing and the the playlist. I mean, in a sense, that's what we do every Sunday, right? I mean, every time we get together. We are trying to create a playlist to move people on a journey. I wonder if we share a pet peeve, uh, a pet peeve of mine in worship. This could be a fun conversation for a minute. Uh, a pet peeve of mine in church worship is when we have songs that are not connected to each other intellectually, emotionally, and musically. Oh, Am I by oh. myself there? Oh, no, man. No, man. And I, honestly, that is... Uh, I. I developed an appreciation for that being raised in the Methodist church. Obviously, the Methodists were notorious for being methodical, thus, uh, <laughs> thus the name <laughs> Methodist, because there was a very, very specific, particular method to how they did community, how they you know, developed discipleship. But 
one of the things that was really cool is you you see all these formative practices in the church and you realize like, oh, all these things are connected. Hmm. Like the liturgical calendar, the responsive readings, the hymns that were posted as you walked into a service, they were all by design. And it was all to reinforce what the rhythm of the church was going throughout the year in terms of its acknowledgement of God or certain special days that were, you know, memorialized in the history of the church. And so and so I, I think coming out of an environment like that, though I was saved in a Pentecostal church, I always look back to that and say, man, like I was shaped in a very deep way. And I didn't realize it through some of these hymns and responsive readings and that liturgical calendar, because it gave me a framework for that liturgical movement. Like there's a progress that's happening. And it's not this kind of frenzied karaoke kind of, oh, you know, a little of this, a little dab of that, and, you know, whatever, you know, you kind of feel. Granted, as as good charismatics, we do leave room for the Spirit to move and for the Holy Spirit to speak. But I'm also an advocate that the Holy Spirit can speak before. <laughs> All right. Now, you do know the Holy Spirit can speak before you get on stage. You do realize that, right? You'd actually know we can make room for the Holy Spirit to speak as we're preparing. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the spirit moving when we just randomly pick something in the moment <laughs> and just completely go spontaneous and off script. Say that loud for wanna, the people in the back. <laughs> I, I just, I just want to throw that out there that the Holy Spirit is more than capable, more than capable of helping you and I to plan <laughs> what is going to happen. And the funny thing is, the more I've been involved in a Christian music culture in Nashville, a lot of the untold stories of, of a lot of the spontaneous worship songs that we hear on these albums is that they're not spontaneous. So meaning, like, for example, like just a quick story. I, I had someone share the story of No Longer Slaves, right? And so No Longer Slaves from Bethel Music started in a worship moment where that I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. Right. It was just a refrain. That's all they had. But then they went back and they wrote a song. You know what I mean? Like God didn't download a whole song to them Mm -hmm. with every I dotted and T crossed in a moment. They just grabbed a hold of something that was that was kind of birthed in a moment of engaging God and whatever else was going on in that moment. And they said, you know what? We want to go back and we want to develop this. Now, that's a that's an outlier example, but the point is, you know, spontaneity is not necessarily what we're after. What we're after is the depth and the breadth and the truth of, of who God is. And if he moves upon us spontaneously, then praise God. Let us take that moment and really massage it in partnership with the Holy Spirit and say, okay, what else are you saying here? How can I clarify this? What should people sing beyond this moment? And I think that that's you know, that's on us to do. I totally agree with you. We had, we wrote, we wrote a song recently called we cry glory and the bridge of it sort of came out spontaneously in a night of worship. And then we later wrote a song around it, but even the part that came out spontaneously, it's funny, like uh, Amanda, one of our worship leaders, Amanda May, she, she, she's the one who sort of let out and was singing that, but Amanda was also praying around that theme 
studying mm. her Bible around that theme, mm. you know, in the weeks leading up to it. And so while the tune maybe was spontaneous, the thought was not, you know, it's the, mm-hmm. it's, it's the brew. It's the, it's the roux, you know, if you ever make gumbo, it's the roux she had been cooking and cooking and stirring and stirring. And yeah. then at the right time, all of a sudden, boom, we got a roux. And so I'm with you, man. A lot of planning. I always tell people, man, God can show up in my meeting on Monday, just like he can show up in the service on Sunday. So, man, let me say one other thing about planning. Another thing I deeply encourage, you know, worship leaders to do is to plan ahead for the moments of ministry that happens during song leading. So, and we're talking about pet peeves, you know, one of the things that I I find has become very common is, especially in like less experienced, you know, worship leaders, is they just sing right through all of the ministry moments, meaning they're not actually ready with something to pray, a word of blessing to speak, some thoughts that have been stewing that can be introduced during a moment where God is revealing himself to people during a set and being able to embellish that. A scripture, I mean, just a scripture that connects with the song. And it's so important, kind of going back to that whole idea of spiritual formation that happens through the musical moments, is like taking those times to really be prepared and plan and say, you know what, this is our set for today. I'm believing that God is going to move. And when he does, or when there's a transition or a spot that opens up, I want to be ready to pray this kind of prayer. or I want to be ready to read this scripture to impress upon the hearts of people who are there, what his desire for his people and what he wants to do in this time. And I think that that's another one of those important points where we've Unfortunately, we rely too much sometimes on production. You know, we want the pad or the guitar tone to speak for us. And really, there's nothing that compares to the spoken word of God. When you open your mouth and declare the truth of God, there's there's something that happens that a guitar or atmospheric pad, you know, just can't can't do, you know. I talk to worship leaders too and, and encourage them to to read and study. You know, people say you are what you eat. I, maybe that's true too, but you are what you read. You know, <laughs> and if you're not reading, you've got nothing, whether it's God's word or other books or whatever. I mean, of course, man, prayer is important, but the gift of prophecy is a gift and, and, and you're mm. always going to have that. And even, even in that, that gift is subject to the prophet, the steward as well. I remember one time, Justin, I was mowing my yard. I was praying about something. I really want God to speak to me. I'm like, man, God, what's you, you speak to me about this? And he's like, I've spoke to you through 66 books. Would you take time to read all of those words? Then come back to me for a new, you know? And so that, that was the first time I set out to uh, read the whole Bible cover to cover, you know, cause I thought, well, I hadn't, I hadn't even read every word he gave me and I'm out here asking for the, for the easy word. Wow. But yeah, man, you are what you read. So what's next for every nation music, man? What are you guys up to? Man, right now, you know, know, we're looking at moving a lot of our resource-oriented content online. We're in the middle of doing a refresh on our website, so there'll be more, you know, worship, spiritual formation resources and songwriting resources online. We're we're starting to also move our, our worship writers' workshops online as well. We just finished a pilot of a workshop online with about 40 or 50 people involved from different nations. I think there might have been maybe 10 or 15 nations involved in that. And and so it's great, man. There's just, you know, traction, there's synergy, there's community that's growing. One of the other things that we've done recently is we've partnered with Integrity Music to help us with all of our administration of the, the songs in our catalog and also to provide resources when possible to our churches. 
One of the things that we just recently released on YouTube was kind of a publishing 101 talk that was hosted by me and Ashley Daly, who's a coordinator for EM Music and the publishing team from Integrity Music. And they were super helpful. And we're just trying to make practical, meaningful resources for churches to continue to inspire, you know, biblical worship with an eye on the nations where they are. And uh, there'll be some other music releases and stuff here pretty soon. But other than that, like I said, it's it's really focusing on resources and trying to help churches the best ways that we can. That's great, man. We put you on the spot. What's your favorite worship song? (sighs) Man, my favorite worship song? Golly, man. I mean, probably Great Is Thy Faithfulness. Mm. And the reason why Great Is Thy Faithfulness is my favorite, even though it's an oldie, you know, it's a hymn. It's just Thomas Chisholm's story, man. I mean, the guy that wrote the song, he had a desire for ministry, was basically bedridden for most of his life because of very, very significant physical illnesses. And the guy's song didn't even get traction in the world until he was already dead. And I think the song just speaks to his gratitude that he lived with, even though he couldn't perform ministry the way he wanted to because he was sick most of his life. You know, I think he I think he he passed relatively early. I mean, just the whole story behind that song and and basically how he, he had a friend William Runyon who actually was the musical composer of that song who had heard his poem that he wrote and then set it to music and then it was popularized later I think with Billy Graham and some other folks who were kind of traveling evangelists. But man, he just has a remarkable story. And every time I sing that song, I think about the guy Mm. and what he went through to actually pin those lyrics. Like he, Mm. you know, he just had this incredible sense of gratitude, even though he was in like hardship for most of his life. And so great is I faithfulness is just probably one of my favorites all time. You definitely can't wrong with that one. That's a, that is, that is a good one. I asked you the question. I was thinking, man, shoot, what would my answer be? So I'll give it to you. But I I think my answer is probably my Jesus. I love thee, but it's interesting. We both go back to hymns, right? And that, that speaks to the richness of those lyrics. And so I, I, for one, appreciate the simple singability of easy, repetitive, 7-Eleven songs, they call them, you know, same stuff. <laughs> but I also uh, appreciate the richness of the of the hymns of Days Gone By, and it wouldn't hurt yeah. my feelings at all if, if we had more songs written that contain that kind of that kind sure. of depth and richness. So, man, thanks so much for being with us on the podcast today. I could just keep talking to you all day long, man. We could just chop it up. There's so much to say, but we know people have a limited amount of time. It'd be great to have you down to Austin sometime. I know we tried and it just on, it, it didn't work, but we'll, we'll keep trying, man. Thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciate the time. You're awesome, man. God bless you and your ministry. Thanks for all you do. God bless you, man. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Tuesdays Are For Talking. For more information about how to get and stay connected to us, head over to mosaicchurchaustin.com and be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We hope you'll make plans to join us next week.